Rev it up and welcome to Cars Yeah, show number 1756. Today we're at Speedway Motors Museum of American Speed. It's going to be fun. This is Cars Yeah, where you'll enjoy interviews with inspiring automotive enthusiasts. Mark Green is here to provide you with a fuel injection of automotive inspiration. So get in, sit down, buckle up, and get ready for a wild ride here on Cars Yeah. Hello, inspiring automotive enthusiasts, and welcome to Cars Yeah. Today, I'm in beautiful Lincoln, Nebraska, with a very special guest in a very special place by the name of Tim Matthews. Hey, Tim, welcome to Cars Yeah. Are you buckled up and ready for a fun ride? Oh, yeah. I'm excited. This will be a lot of fun. Good. We'll have some fun. Now, before I give you a proper introduction, what's one little thing you could share with the listeners that maybe most people don't know about you? Well, you know, as Barry Maguire would say, I'm car crazy. Everybody knows that, but I tell you, it's all I think about. But one thing a lot of people don't know about me is that I'm trained in classical sculpture. So uh, if I find extra time in my life, I, I like to do some bronze casting and some stone carving, which which isn't something a lot of folks do, but I find it really therapeutic. Oh, this is awesome. Well, we're going to talk a little bit about that because I find this fascinating. I grew up in a family where my father was an architect, an artist, and he took us to lots of museums when I was growing up. So I, I gained a real, real passion for, for the arts, uh, painting, sculpture, drawing, and all sorts. And he did some clay sculptures and some wood sculptures. He painted a lot as well, in addition to his architecture. So I find that really fascinating. In fact, I have a piece of wood out of my garage has been haunting me for years, telling me to do something with it, and I haven't quite figured it out, so maybe you can help me with that someday. <laughs> I love it. That's great. Yeah, it keeps every time I walk by it, it goes, Mark, I'm here. I'm still here. And I have some ideas, but I'm, I'm just, you know, I'm a little timid to start, but maybe you can give me some inspiration. <laughs> I love it. Well, let me give you, and you're going to be the first guy I sent a picture to when I get it, get it done, but uh, I don't know if I'll be anywhere <laughs> near your caliber. I'm not trained in that. So here we go. Tim Matthews is the curator of transportation, motorsports, and automobilia at Speedway Motor Museum of American Speed. From childhood, Tim has always been inspired and fascinated with automotive history and vintage automotive toys. I've got a few of those. Prior to his current role, Tim worked on the business side of Speedway Motors as director of the Hot Rod and Race Technical Sales Supports Team. Tim, as he said, he holds a BFA in studio sculpture from Augustana University. Am I saying that or did I? Yeah. Okay, Augustana. Augustana University. You got it. Augustana University (laughs) and went on to continue studies in advanced metal casting and kinetic sculpture. Very fascinating. We'll talk Calder maybe today. Oh, yeah. In Europe, the University of Minnesota and the University of Nebraska. And in his spare time, Tim builds traditionally inspired hot rods and continues to create automotive-inspired art. We'll be back in just a minute to learn more about Tim and the museum, but first a word from our sponsors, so keep your seatbelts on. We'll be right back. Did you know Covercraft offers you much more than just car covers? They make quality protection for the inside of your vehicle as well. Their plush, custom-fit floor mats Turn any ride into something special. Or choose Premier Berber Custom Floor Mats. They're a favorite of mine. Covercraft floor mats are quality made and provide your ride with the ultimate protection from moisture, dirt, mud, snow, and slush. Don't forget your vehicle's trunk area too. Their Carhartt Custom Cargo Liners not only look great, but keep your rear cargo area and seats 
protected. Custom fit trunk liners for sedans, coupes, and SUVs are perfect to protect the factory carpets from all those things that can stain and damage the carpets. All your options are quality made, easy to clean, secure to the floor, and look oh so good. Check out Covercraft.com for a variety of styles, colors, and options for your special vehicles. And I've got a very special deal from Cars Yeah. Use the code YEAH21, Y-E-A-H-21, at Covercraft.com, and you'll get 10% off your Covercraft order. That's right, 10% off. Just use the code YEAH21 at checkout. Covercraft, protecting the things that move you. All right, Tim, as we continue on this creative journey that is your life, I want to start with a mantra or a success quote, something that inspires you. It's a nice way to get the wheels spinning a little bit here on Cars, yeah? So grab the steering wheel. Hey, sounds good. Yeah, you know, a quote that always kind of bubbles to the top for me is one by Henry David Thoreau, and it, it goes a little something like this. It's what you do, or what you get, rather, by achieving your goals is not as important as what you become by achieving your goals. And, you know, I've always thought about that. You know, I think so uh, many of us in life uh, chase after you know, a, a bigger paycheck. But what I've found in the museum uh, life especially is that uh, just by being involved with your passion and doing things that matter to other people, uh, it really it really helps you grow as a person and your friendships become the most important thing. And uh, so, yeah, that's that's kind of a quote that I've always lived by, you know, that and just living your passion every day. You know, if, if you find it's cars or painting or, or uh, landscaping, you know, if you're involved with it and you do your very best, you know, success eventually comes your way. You do have to be patient, but uh, once you get to that point, uh, you don't really work anymore. You get to just keep doing what you love. Absolutely. That's what Cars Yeah is all about. And that's a great joy I get and the honor of talking to people every day who figured that little secret out in their lives. And hopefully together we're inspiring other people who maybe aren't so happy about getting up in the morning and going into the office or the shop or wherever they work uh, that, you know what, there's over 1,756 people here now on Cars Yeah that can help you, guide you down the secret to success, just like Tim just did. So very well said. I'd love to take a deeper dive into Speedway Motors Museum of American Speed. That's a long sign. And uh, talk, <laughs> talk a bit more about what you guys do there, what people can expect to see there, and uh, what gets you fired up every day about going into the museum? Well, you know, the Museum of American Speed is really a, a magical, really wonderful place. It's a, it's a museum that was started really back in 1952 by our founder, the founder of Speedway Motors and the founder of the Museum of American Speed, a guy named Bill Smith and his wife, Joyce. And they were people that were not only involved in the automotive industry from way back, uh, they were also people that were involved in racing and car shows. You know, we always like to joke that they never took in a vacation in their entire life. You know, they were always going to car <laughs> events, yeah. you know, not only to promote the business, but uh, to collect items for the museum. And, and that was so much fun for them. Uh, they didn't really need anything else. They didn't need to go to Acapulco or anything like that. I mean, they, they loved doing that. Uh, so it's this uh, crazy place that, uh, you know, when most people think about a car attraction, you know, they might think of the building uh, along the roadside that's, you know, just a big barn full of cars that are stacked door handle to door handle where, well, our museum really isn't that. It's a collection uh, that speaks to 
technological innovation uh, as it pertains to the racing car and to the production car. But then mixed into that, you have all these sub-collections. We have a fabulous, probably one of the world's best collections of vintage tether cars, gas-powered miniature racing cars. We have a great collection of pedal cars and and ride-on toys. We have a great collection of tin toys and art and sculpture, tools, vintage tools. I mean, every time you turn a corner, you're going to see something that really is inspiring. And what I love about the museum is even when the car guy shows up at the front door with the Ed Iskandarian t-shirt on, (laughs) he brings us, I mean, you always worry, right? Like, how's the wife going to take this? Is she just going to have to unplug for about three hours while her husband has fun? But uh, what we found is, you know, the spouses have just as much fun as as the, the husband's. Uh, even if they're not interested so much in cars. By the time they leave, our hope is that we will have lit the spark and and they'll become more like us, of course. (laughs) Absolutely. Well, you mentioned Ed Iskandarian, Iski. I believe he was the eldest, most senior guest I've had on Cars, yeah? Bill Neal, I think he was 91 when he was on the show, but I think Iski was a little bit older. So, yeah, I've got guests all the way up into their 90s and all the way down into their early teens. So Lucky you. Well, I am very fortunate, that's for sure. Let's talk a little (laughs) bit about, you know, the 8,000-pound gorilla in the room and what this pandemic has done to you guys, because with everything shutting down, including all the great museums, that has put a big strain on... How you guys share what you do when nobody can come and see it. So how have you guys dealt with that? You're absolutely right. You know, the pandemic is is really a game changer. And I heard a statistic not long ago from somebody in the business of travel and and, uh, museums. And he said that 50% of museums in the United States will fail because of the COVID pandemic. And, you know, that that figure just broke my heart. That's a huge number. I mean, it's a devastating number. It is. And I mean, uh, whether it be a roller skating museum or a museum, a tractor museum, I mean, you hate to see any museum fail because it's really what inspires and, and educates our young people. And, there, it, you know, as a museum, that's one thing that we've taken very seriously. Obviously, uh, for me, coming to work every day, you would think it's all the stuff in the museum that keeps you excited, but it really is the people oh, yeah. and it's the visitors that come to our museum. I mean, we get people from all over the world that have all types of backgrounds in in some of the objects that we're we're actually uh, putting out on display and meeting those people is, is so wonderful. Uh, so I, I guess to get to the heart of your question, we're really lucky as a museum because, you know, we have a really great infrastructure and a really great plan uh, to be able to weather such storms and, and stay healthy financially through this. Uh, so uh, there's no threat of our museum having any issue, but uh, we're looking for to the day that we can open again. I think we've kind of marked the calendar for April 1st to be able to get guests back in the museum and, and uh, resume sharing some of these uh, wonderful objects. And many of the objects, uh, you know, as I mentioned, were collected by Bill and Joyce Smith and in extension, uh, their four sons. But there are a lot of items in the museum that uh, have been donated by other folks that really want their stuff to be seen. So we don't take that lightly and we really want to get people back. Oh, gosh. Yeah, absolutely. You know, you have a great website, and I'll make sure to put a link to that website on Tim's show notes page so you listeners can go and check it out. And your site, I was going through it last night in anticipation of this talk today, and some of the cars you have just made my face light up. (laughs) 
And it's because it brought back my youth, which is what a lot of things cars do. The Red Baron, I built a model of that. I loved that. The Boot Hill Express, I built a model of that. Big Daddy Ed Ross Outlaw <laughs> Tribute, I built that model. The Farner's X-Ray Roadster. I mean, I'm going, oh my gosh, this is my childhood. Uh, more aggravation, the, the dragster. I mean, I'm going, oh, oh yeah, I got to get there. So, <laughs> so tell the listeners a little bit more as they go through. You talked about the kind of things that they'll see here, but what fascinates me even more than the cars is you talked about all the little bits and pieces that could make somebody who's maybe not that much into cars. My wife, if I could get her to go to a car museum, that would be something that's just not her thing. But <laughs> I could see where the all the other bits and pieces really bring a life to things. And you can look at them and go, wow, all these other parts. I mean, the founders must have just bought everything they ever saw. <laughs> it's just incredible. Boy, I, I tell you, it does feel like that sometimes. You know, as I'm sitting here talking to you right now, I join you from the pedal car gallery, and oh. I'm looking out on the sea of vintage unrestored pedal cars, right? And, you know, each one of these was a friendship uh, because a lot of them were collected before the days of eBay, before the days of uh, email, where things were simple. Uh, you had to have a friend somewhere at an event that called you up or sent you a letter and, and explained uh, this opportunity. And Bill was so lucky uh, to have so many friendships throughout the United States where people really, truly wanted to help him out. So uh, you're right. I mean, the things that are here uh, are really special. Everything has a story, and it's a wide variety of things. You, you talk a little bit about Chuck Miller's Red Baron, and yeah. you know, so you'll see that next to a you know one of Preston Tucker's Tucker torpedoes, and and of course the Dale car, which has been in the news quite a bit lately. Oh, yeah. The HBO documentary about it. I mean, there's just a wide variety of things, and I think, like you mentioned, you know, we try to make it about cars, but really cars are so intertwined in our culture that they they kind of bleed off into all these other sub collections and and to, to see how everything's related record album covers from the 60s lunch boxes that you would have brought to school as a kid with a dragster imprinted <laughs> oh, on yeah. the front i mean all that cool stuff right yeah yeah absolutely now i got to ask you because my first car was a garten Cadillac. do you have a Cadillac oh, there in boy. the collection oh you're 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 you know, you're touching my heart there. <laughs> Cadillac is also a car I used to have. Really? And it wasn't the, sm oh yeah. And the Cadillac was not a light car. I mean, that oh, was no. a serious pedal car oh, yeah. for a kid with some serious legs. I mean, you had, <laughs> I mean, that's solid steel. Uh, we do have a couple of Cadillacs we, and they came in different options. You know, you could get a chain drive, you could get them with working headlights. I mean, it, uh, so yeah, they're, they're a fantastic car. Yeah. Mine was yellow. And I've always teased my mom, never forgiven her to this day. When we moved, we made a big move and my parents got rid of a lot of things when we were unloading the U-Haul. We couldn't afford to have movers do it and we were all do it. And I was, a, I was still a little kid. I was probably six or seven, you know, and I said, where's my pedal car? And my mom said, well, I, I gave that to Jimmy down the street when we moved. I'm like, what? what? And she goes, well, you can't, even Heartbreak. Fit, you can't even fit in that thing anymore. And I went, Mom, I wanted to save that for my kid someday. And she's like, well, that's looking ahead. So she goes, well, sorry about that. But uh. I looked through your list. You know, you've got the Schwinn Apple Crate. I had a Schwinn Orange Crate bicycle when I was a kid that I saved up my my paper out money for i mean you've got toy mar car mascots cookie jars soapbox derby i mean it just goes on and on so this is a place i can't wait to visit i've not had the pleasure of visiting but i'm going to get there one of these days now 
I always ask my guests, and we touched on challenges with the pandemic issue. Unfortunately, you guys are positioned in a way that this didn't destroy your museum like it's damaged so many other museums and restaurants and so many businesses. But I want you to share a big challenge in your life, something that really kind of pushed hard on you. But more importantly, what was that lesson that you learned so you could move out of it in a positive way? Boy, you know, that that's probably one of the hardest questions to answer, but I think everybody probably has a common thread in their life where they've had that moment where they, they look back and they, they say, gee whiz, that was a horrible time. <laughs> yes. oh, <laughs> but, yeah. but it was pivotal too, right? It, it creates this uh, situation that uh, launches you in a new direction. And for me, it was probably, uh, you know, when I was going to school to become a sculptor, you know, it all started with a dream of becoming the next Michelangelo, right? I, uh, I thought uh, I'd, I'd just light the world on fire as an artist, but, uh, and then hopefully becoming a professor. That was kind of always my goal. I wanted to teach sculpture and my parents were behind me a hundred percent, you know, parents that didn't go to college themselves, but they were uh, willing to, to assist me and to support me uh, with this dream that I had. And I'll never forget when I was in graduate school, I just straight up ran out of money. I mean, casting bronze was so expensive. And I was on a teaching assistantship that looking back, I can't imagine anybody kind of making it on that kind of, uh, <laughs> that kind of money. Right. But I got to this point where there was just no way to continue. I had to get a job. And at that time, it was forbidden at the university to get a summer job. You were expected to work in the studio throughout the summer and not go get uh, a job for extra money. But I just had to do it. So I, uh, I remembered what a professor told me, a man by the name of Wayne Potratz at the University of Minnesota. He said, when you transfer to Lincoln, Nebraska, he said, the first place you need to go is the Museum of American Speed, and you need to look at that place. You're going to love it. And I did that. You know, So I, I went and saw the museum when I first arrived to Lincoln to start my graduate studies. And I thought, wow, what a neat place. Went back to school. Uh, And then I found myself at this pivotal moment where I was just out of money, kind of stressed out. You know, I was having all kinds of medical issues because the stress of school and everything. And I decided, you know what, I'm going to go get this summer job and I'm going to work part time. So I applied at Speedway Motors. Uh, just as a student and decided I was going to work here for three months. And uh, that was going to be it. And just enough money to get myself out of the hole. And I fell in love with it. You know, I fell in love with talking to people about their hot rods and their race cars and selling them parts. And, you know, I started out at the very rock bottom position. You know, it was, uh, you know, sales associate part time on the phones. You know, it was minimum wage at the time. And uh, but I loved the job. You know, it just felt like it touched so many uh pieces of, of my, my, the passion that I had for cars and, and creating and working with tools. And uh, so I'll never forget when I called my parents and I said, you know, I think I'm, I'm just going to keep doing this for a while. And it, and it really, really upset them. I mean, I, I remember that it was uh, it was a tough deal. You know, they said, you're just going to give up on your dream. I said, well, I don't know. I see this other thing and I really like it. And I just decided at that moment in my life, I was going to switch gears uh, no matter what anybody else thought. And once you know it, I never left. I'm still here today, 15 years later. So crazy. You found your next passion and it sounds like you're still working on your art passion, which is the best of both worlds. And it's a tough deal. I wanted to go to Art Center in Pasadena and I drove up there. I actually got accepted and I went up there to talk with them. And during the meeting, I said, well, what are the job opportunities in the area? Because I, I, my parents couldn't afford to put me through school. I had to pay for it. And this lady, I'll never forget. She goes, well, you can't work while you're going to school here. And I said, what do you mean? She goes, well, you can't. You'll be too busy. I said, well, how am I going to pay for it? She goes, well, ask your parents. And I said, well, I, 
I really can't. This is an expensive school. And she said, <laughs> well, and I'll never forget this. She said, I guess you're not going here then. And oh boy, it was like, whoa. Yeah. And that drive back to San Diego where I was living uh, was a long drive. <laughs> Just heartbreaking. Yeah, no kidding. Yeah, and yeah, the whole way you're huh. thinking, okay, how can I do this? And I'm thinking, do I know anybody I could call? I'm like, I'm not going to call people and beg for money. That's not right. And back then there were college loans, but I really didn't believe in that and didn't want to get into debt. And I'm thinking four years of college. I mean, by the time I graduate, I'll have a mortgage hanging around my neck. And, you know, it's just the way it was. And it ended up being fine. But yeah, that's heartbreaking. My son attended RISD, great school, Rhode Island School of Design. And fortunately, my wife and I had saved and we were able to pay for his college education. And looking at his curriculum, he used to joke because he was he would take classes up at Brown University. RISD and Brown are right side by side. So he took his engineering courses there. And uh, he used to say, Dad, if the lights are on late up at Brown, they're partying. If they're on late at RISD, you're in studio working. <laughs> <laughs> and that's, and oh, yeah. That was the truth. I've never seen that kid work so hard. And boy, and it landed him a great job. He's got a great career, a great person. So I'm so glad we were able to do that for him. But uh, kudos to you for being able to find a new passion and still incorporate your old passion into your life. I think that's great. Let's take a short break and thank our sponsors. And when we come back, I want to talk about this personal passion you have for automobiles. It's obviously very deep and uh, goes way, way, way back. So keep your seatbelts on. We'll be right back. American Collectors Insurance. That's who now protects my Porsche Turbo, the one I call my orange crush. They've been protecting vehicles since 1976. With all the time, effort, and money you've put into your classic vehicles, do you know how much you would receive if yours was stolen, damaged, or totaled in an accident or a fire? Your regular auto insurance carriers won't tell you until after the claim, and more than likely, you'll be in for a rude awakening. With an agreed value policy from American Collectors Insurance, you'll be paid your vehicle's full agreed value. No surprises. So don't just hope for a fair claim settlement. Be certain and know exactly what you'll get with an agreed value policy. I shopped around and decided to protect my car with American Collectors Insurance. Give them a call today for a quote at 866-ACI-YEAH. That's 866 866- 224-9324 and protect the ones you love. Tell them Mark Green at Cars Yeah sent you. That's American Collectors Insurance. Classic car insurance designed by collectors for collectors, folks just like you and me. I'm honored to say that my charity of choice here at Cars Yeah is Tech Force Foundation. They help young people find an education and career that aligns with their passions. For those who love cars, problem-solving, and working with their hands, a career as a professional automotive technician is the perfect fit for a fulfilling life. We're all wired differently, and not every successful career demands a four-year university. Technical education and the skilled trades matter, and we need qualified, skilled technicians to keep our vehicles rolling. Learn more about how you can support tomorrow's driving force and workforce of technicians at techforce.org like I do here at Cars Yeah. All right, we are back. Now, I would love for you to share a story that instigated this passion you have for cars and what landed you, where it's landed you. What was that pivotal moment in your life when you knew that you were a little bit of a car guy? 
Boy, you know, that's that's really cool. You know, it's a great question. And I love thinking back on it because it's just crystal clear in my mind. You know, my dad was always involved with cars. And it's interesting because when you talk to people that are into cars, they also want their kids to be. Uh, and no one really knows how you do that successfully. <laughs> that is, it's almost like the harder you try to get your kids into cars, uh, the harder you crash. But uh, with me, you know, my dad just kind of always let it happen on its own. You know, he was always working on different projects. He was really in the Tri-5 Chevys. I remember uh, that Kittlack we were just talking about. He, uh-huh. uh, he told me I needed to change that into a 57 Chevy, so I used about... <laughs> Oh my gosh! I used twenty-seven gallons of Bondo on that thing to try to make you, it look like a fifty-seven. You, with the- you Bondoed your Cadillac. <laughs> Yeah, when I was when I was probably like eight or nine years old, I probably took a few years off the end of my life, you know, with all those chemicals. But you know, it uh, wow. it was a fun project. But you know, even then, I would say I wasn't car crazy yet. I mean, I was involved with all of that stuff. But then you kind of get to this age where you're maybe fourteen or fifteen years old, and I thought, you know, if I have a really cool car, that's probably the best way to find a really good looking girlfriend. And so. <laughs> I, I found the first car that I thought was cool, and it was a 64 Plymouth uh, two-door Belvedere. Back when you could find those pretty cheap, and, and uh, you know, I, I worked on that car, and as I began working on it, spending a lot of time on it, I immediately didn't care about girls anymore. I was always in the garage, always tinkering with this thing, working uh, nights, you know, after, after school, you know, so I could... Uh, pay for the parts and eventually went to drag race this thing and, and put a giant uh, you know, 426 uh, wedge engine in it. And But that was kind of that time where I realized, boy, the car wasn't you know, just this tool to kind of be a part of society. It was, yeah. it was like the whole world, you know, every night you were working on this thing. And, cool. and I think that was kind of the time for me that I, I knew the fire was lit. <laughs> you know, talk about going back. My first car was a 67 Chevy Nova four door, nothing special. And it was a special deal that our neighbor got for me. He worked at a Chevy dealership. And I remember I was grateful because it was very affordable. He sold it to me for about nothing. And I had a car, but I thought driving it home, no one's going to want to go on a date with me in this thing. I'm like, it looks like a grandma's car. In fact, it still had that clear plastic seat covers with the bumps on them they had oh. in the 60s. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. So I, I I saved as much as I could to get a Carmen Ghia within the next year so I could be in something a little more cool. But uh, yeah, uh, I understand 100%. What was your real that really special car in your life? Could be your first car. Could be something you've had since or maybe it's something you're looking forward to share what that vehicle is or will be and maybe a memory or a future thought you might have with it boy you know the car that kind of strikes a chord with me is the car i sent you a picture of i have this uh, gold 1970 nova speaking of novas yeah uh, <laughs> that particular car i've had since I was about 15 years old and it, it was a really? crazy story. Wow. Yeah. Gosh, my, my dad worked with a guy at, at the golf course. He worked at the maintenance shop of a golf course and he was working with this fellow that he knew had this gold champagne, gold 70 Nova. And he'd always ask him, you know, what are you going to do with that Nova? Because it always sat in the same one stall garage of this guy's place. And the guy would always tell him the same thing. You know, that car is absolutely not for sale. My mom gave it to me after she, you know, I required, it after she passed away. That car's never going anywhere. So my dad worked on him for a little while because his 
intention was to acquire it and give it to his mom uh, because she had a gold uh, Nova at some point in her life. And he thought it'd be a really great thing to make her feel good. Mm -hmm. So uh, he continued working on this guy and he was always told the same thing. No way, you know, for like six or seven years. Well, uh, eventually this guy who is a a bachelor and lived on his own uh, at the ripe old age of uh, 68, he decided to join a gym and uh, met a gal at the gym and they fell in love and he called us one night. It was like 11 o'clock at night and uh, storming. And he said, you got to come get that Nova right now uh, because it's my my new girlfriend needs a place to park her minivan, uh, (laughs) get it out of the rain. So it was hilarious. So we go and pull this Nova out that had been sitting, you know, dormant, you know, since like 1978. It only had, you know, 15,000 miles on it. And so we pull it out and all this dirt and dust that had been accumulating on, it's just running off. And, uh, you know, we pulled that thing home and my dad, you know, gave me the job of cleaning it up for my grandma. He said, you know, get that thing spruced up. And, and so as I cleaned it, you know, I just fell in love with the thing. And, uh, you know, he said, well, if you want to pay me payments for it, you know, you can have that car. Uh, so that's what I did. And, and, uh, you know, I've had that car for so long. I can't imagine life without it. It's still all original. I mean, it's got all of its original paint and upholstery and uh, it's still super low mileage and, and it's just a 307 with a power glide nothing fancy but yeah. uh, it just uh, it's just one of those things you're lucky enough to hang on to and in my life that isn't always the case it seems like you're always buying and selling and trading to get what you want but that's one car that I've always had well it's a great story poor grandma got left in the dust but I'm sure she was, <laughs> yeah, she was well taken exactly. care of but I'll tell the listeners uh, I've got a picture of that vehicle and Tim and his beautiful family standing in front of it on his show notes page in the Cars yeah website. It's much cooler looking than the one I had. Mine was a 67 uh, Chevy 2, which uh, would have been cooler as a two-door, but it was the four-door version. And like I said, it was a, I think it was a three in the tree, actually. It was a, it was a manual, but you had to shift from the column, which was kind of goofy. You know, it's the way those, <laughs> those things were back then, but I'll put a note. Now, real briefly, I wanted to touch on the Dale. This is a vehicle that you have at the museum now. Is that right? Yeah, we have one of the three vehicles that are in existence. There's some talk that there's maybe a fourth shell uh-huh. uh, hanging around out there. But uh, yeah, we have we have the, one of the early prototypes that they call the space car. Uh, and it's the one that was used on all of the 20th century motor cars advertisements back in 74. Yeah, well, you know, the, the Dale, the 20th century motor car corporation, it's a fascinating story. Basically, it was started by who came to be known as a con artist, Geraldine, Geraldine Elizabeth Liz Carmichael back in 1974. I think she ended up going to prison for a while, actually, because of her her shenanigans. But can you touch a little bit on why you guys got this car and and what it is? Because it's a very different looking thing. And it came out at a time when uh, the gas crisis was going on. And I think she was trying to do something to kind of help people, but she kind of did it in not so good way. Absolutely. And you're absolutely correct. You know, when I first came to the museum, I saw the car. It was just being taken out of the museum. It had been on display, but we were going to bring it back to storage. And, you know, it's one of those cars that if you're a car person and you know a little bit about physics and the way cars are supposed to work, when you look at it, you immediately say to yourself, there's no way. Yeah, <laughs> like, that thing's going to like fall on its side or something. Yeah. I mean, it's kind of this slippery banana kind of uh, looking shape and it's three wheeled and, uh, you know, it's just, 
in some ways it's intriguing, uh, you know, and you think about the time period it came out of where all the cars, you know, were gigantic and, and big gas guzzlers. And you can understand maybe why people got excited about it that maybe didn't understand a lot about cars. Mm-hmm. But yeah, we, we have this thing. It's, it's one of the early prototypes. It, it really kind of shows you what the Dale was supposed to be. Uh, it's more or less a sculpture of the particular car that we have. It, uh, it has, you know, aluminum wheels and, and regular tires and headlights, taillights, uh, but no interior or running gear of any kind. Uh, it was the car they used for their advertisements. You know, it uh, was brought to Lincoln, Nebraska in 1975. Uh, it was purchased from a guy named Dean Moon. And Dean Moon was, you know, a, a, a hot rodder. Uh, oh, yeah. And he was involved in the hot rod business, you know, of creating parts. And he was a California guy. And like I had mentioned before, Bill Smith had friends all over the place. So Bill Smith and Dean Moon were good buddies. Well, Dean purchased the car when he found it on top of a radiator shop in uh in california in la and he thought wow that's one of the dale cars and i think dean moon's thought was he could capitalize a little bit on all the excitement and all the crazy press uh around the car so he had an idea that he might make it into a kit car Ah. and then offer it up for sale to to some of his uh, uh customers well the story was just too hot and the California government really wasn't too keen on anybody bringing that car back to the surface. So he called Bill, and, and Bill Smith was also very intrigued by the story, you know, the uh, story about, uh, you know, Liz Carmichael and, and all the to-do that happened. So he had the same thought. He, you know, he was building a lot of fiberglass parts for hot rods, a really good mold maker, and he thought, you know, I could get this car back to Lincoln, and maybe we could offer it up, you know, as a body kit and then offer a chassis kit for it separately. And if people really want to try the three-wheeled car thing, you know, we could make their dreams come true. Uh, so he bought the car from Dean Moon. Dean Moon delivered it to Lincoln, Nebraska, and, you know, it didn't take long for Bill uh, to understand that it just wasn't feasible to make that you know, a a product, you know, in his catalog. So uh, he's shipped it over to us at the museum and it's been here ever since. So really it's spent most of his life, most of its life in our collection since 1975. It's a fascinating story. And I'll put some links on Tim Shono's page. so You can go learn more about the Dale because it really is a fascinating time and story. And it's some things that I didn't know a lot about. And I started diving into it and reading it. it. It's really, really cool. In fact, I believe I found a video. I think it was a Peterson did a video on the car uh, that's out there. But uh, yeah, you can learn more about what Liz was up to way back when. Almost almost a bit of a DeLorean story in a way. of uh, yeah. Attempted something different gone bad, I guess is the way to say it. Exactly. Yeah. Now, Tim, uh, here's a bit of an introspective question. If you woke up tomorrow and you were a vehicle, not what you want to be, but how you perceive yourself as a vehicle, what would you be and why? Boy, that's a really great question. You know, I'd love to say I'd, I'd be, a, you know, a Lamborghini Countach or something <laughs> like that. But I think the reality is if, if you had to uh, see Tim Matthews as a vehicle, I'd probably be a cross between a bookmobile and an ice cream truck. Uh, <laughs> okay. you know, I think <laughs> as, a, as a museum curator, you know, I, I love history and I love telling people about history and I love sharing, you know, some of the crazy uh, things that I know about automotive history. My wife, you know, I, I, I bring her to tears sometimes. Sometimes she she's probably heard enough, but for, you know, for most people uh, that come to the museum, that works out pretty well. So I, I love uh, imparting my knowledge on folks, and then the ice cream truck maybe because uh, 
you know, I'm a little, you have to be a little bit of a promoter too, to get people excited, especially young people. And, you know, I, I think of that primarily as our goal with the museum is to spark the next generation to keep them involved with building things, working with their hands, working with tools, and trying to build something really neat. Uh, you know, I think if we could get people off gadgets and, and get them into the garage, uh, that might not be a bad thing. I agree with you 100%. We're moving into the uh, last lap. Now, why do I have ice cream music in my head right now? I'm, <laughs> I'm looking out the window. Where's the truck? Where's the truck? Uh, yeah, those Klondike bars. Uh, I'm going to ask you some quick questions for some quick answers. So here we go. What's one of your personal habits? you believe has contributed to your successes in life? Boy, I think just being uh, high energy and, and being good to people, whether it be one of your employees or a visitor to the museum or just somebody you meet out on the street. I think we need a lot more of that these days. But I think just being truly kind to people and being excited about them and, and what they have going on, that's always seemed to serve me well. Spectacular. If I could arrange for a dinner meal or a drink with somebody either living or past that's in the automotive world... Who would you like to uh, dine with? Boy, the, the long answer to that would be my un great uncle, Jim Matthews, who was a circle track racer in the barnstorming days of the 50s and 60s. Wow. He passed away before. Oh, yeah, great guy and, and somebody I, I heard about throughout my whole entire childhood. He ruined a lot of 32 Fords and a lot of 40 Ford Coupes <laughs> <laughs> racing. But, uh, you know, I would love to sit down with him because he really inspired my dad uh, to be a car person, which eventually trickled down to me. So I, I probably owe him a great debt. Yeah, nice lineage there. Now, I typically ask my guests for some great automotive advice they've ever received. I'm going to twist this up a little bit with you. What's the best advice you can offer to somebody who is coming to your museum for the first time? Boy, that's uh, that's a really great question. You know, I think if uh, if someone was coming here, I would just tell them to keep an open mind about what they're looking at and to realize that everything that exists in the museum was created by someone with their hands because they had an idea that they thought was good, you know, and, and it, hopefully it would inspire them to do the same thing, to not be afraid uh, to take the leap and to do something creative. I love it. Perfect answer. Now, is there a great resource, of course, other than your museum, that's a regular go-to for you? You know, the museum's great. You get to see everything in person. But one of the thing, one of the publications that I really love, uh, not to plug anybody, but I, I love the Rotters Journal. I subscribe to that, and I'm into vintage hot rods. And I think they do a spectacular job with uh, what they're doing, uh, you know, showing the history of hot rodding and, and getting people uh, fired up. So yeah, I, I really love the Rotters Journal. You know what's interesting about that publication to me is it's been out for a long time. I've subscribed for a long time, and it's a lot like the Surfers Journal, which I also subscribe to. Uh, actually, it's a gift every year from a good friend of mine. Thank you, Douglas and Jeannie, uh, since I was a surfer growing up. But it, it, those guys were a bit ahead of their time because now you're starting to see many magazines go to a four-time, five-time-a-year format, large, thick format, deep dives into things. I think of magazines like Linkage, Magneto, Triple Zero, uh, Avance, uh, even Road and Track is going that path because... You know, magazines are having a tough time. Uh, and by the, time oh, you, yeah. by the time you get them, you've already seen all that information and they can't take a deep enough dive. So I think the Rottles Journal, Surface Journal, they were kind of leaders in that area. And these other publications I mentioned are really doing a wonderful job. And I'm subscribers to all of those. Uh, now, speaking of reading, is there a book that you'd like to share that you found really interesting? 
You know, there's a book out and it's a serious book. It's called the Miller dynasty. And it's, it's a super deep dive into Harry Miller, who was behind all the Miller and eventually Offenhauser and the, you know, historic racing engines and race cars of the thirties. Uh, and it's called the Miller dynasty. It's written by a guy named Mark Dees. If you can find a copy of that book and you're interested in early indie racing, Boy, it's spectacular, and there are a lot of great historic photos in there. Not only Harry Miller you know, standing by all of his fabulous cars, but it shows the shop, uh, and it really covers the engine technology uh, uh, that he was involved with that uh, really, really set the bar for everyone. It's a wonderful book. It's, a, it's an expensive book, but it's one of those things you've got to have in your library because it, it does take that deep dive. And I got to spend a couple days photographing a couple Miller racers, and what amazed me about those vehicles is their simplicity, their beauty, and the dynamics of those vehicles. And watching them go around a track at a vintage race is just spectacular. And you think, man, those guys were brave to jump in those things and do that because they, oh, they were boy, fast. Yeah, yeah they're, they're spectacular. No kidding. Yeah, the Miller Dynasty. Yeah, we use a term here around the museum. We have a we have a gallery just for Miller engines, and one of the cure, one of the docents uh, told me, "Boy, these things are just cosmic." And you know, you look at them that way, and they kind of are. I mean, there's just there's just something different about the uh, the engineering and the the craftsmanship that uh, that that group of people uh, were involved in. It's just beautiful stuff. It really, really is. They're uh, rolling works of art. All right, we're up to the checkered flag, Tim. I'm going to buy you something pretty cool today, a collectible vehicle. But it's got to be <laughs> one that ticks a lot of boxes. You can't sell it. You got to keep it. You got to drive it. And it's the only one collectible vehicle you have in your garage. So it really needs to be something that is all around for you. So if if I could park anything in the world in your garage, what would it be? Boy, it sure wouldn't be a car that I could use for everything. Going through the drive-through would be real hard. So I'll just walk. But if I could have, if I could have the, I'm telling you, this is probably only because I've been really, really investigating uh, Carroll Shelby and all of his history. You know, especially with the Ford versus Ferrari movie and yep. all of that. You I know, just I, watched I, it again I'd last to, night for like the tenth oh time. Oh my gosh. Oh, it's so good. And, uh, you know, I, it'd have to be Ken Miles GT40. I mean, that that's, yeah. to me, probably the quintessential uh, American race car, you know, driven by one of the coolest guys, you know, and then being involved with Carroll Shelby and all of that. I mean, boy, what a, what a piece of work. I love it. I'd love to park there in your garage. That would be pretty darn cool. Tim, <laughs> you have taken us on a nice journey around the uh, Museum of American Speed. A uh, wonderful time I'm having with you here today. I can't wait for you guys to be able to uh, be open full and people flooding into the gates. I think once we're all, all let loose here, everyone's going to go nuts and crazy going everywhere they can, which is not a bad thing. I'll make sure I put links to the Speedway Motors Museum of American Speed on Tim's show notes page. Now, before I let you go and drive off into the hills in that gt40 what's one little parting piece of wisdom or guidance you might share with us well i'll just say mark that we'd love to have you at the museum when you get close to lincoln nebraska give me a call we'll give you the vip treatment hey. i would just tell every <laughs> i'll be there we would love that <laughs> yeah I, I i hope so uh, because until you actually come here, it's hard to really describe it. I guess the parting words that I would have for anyone out there listening, and I hope there are some young people out there listening that, that don't know anything about cars that are wondering, you know, how do I get involved? I would just say, 
buy something old, uh, even if it doesn't run, and just take it apart. You know, it, it just live your passion and uh, get involved. Don't be afraid of it. And, and before you know it, you'll be an expert. Absolutely. Get your hands dirty. What are some of the ways people can learn more about the Museum of American Speed? You know, probably the best way is through our website. You could also check out our Facebook page, which is very active, and we're always uh, keeping folks up to date. If you get on our website, you can actually subscribe uh, to our newsletter, which is a newsletter we send out quarterly uh, that also tells you about current events. And I will tell you, we always have something new showing up at the museum. We're actually really excited about some expansion plans that we have for the facility to, to, to grow it. So uh, there are, there's a lot of cool stuff coming down the pipeline. Well, I subscribed last night, so I'll be getting those. I'll make sure I put links to all of these great things Tim has shared with us today on his show notes page, museumofamericanspeed.com. That's the website. Hey, check it out because it's a beautiful website, incredible photography. Pour yourself a tall drink, though, because you're going to be there a while enjoying everything they have (laughs) to share before you can get out on the road and visit them there in beautiful Lincoln, Nebraska. Tim, thanks for being so generous today with your time and your enthusiasm and your expertise. Until I see you at the museum... I'll see you again down the road. Sounds great, Mark. What a pleasure. Thank you. The pleasure was all mine. Hey, fellow inspiring automotive enthusiasts. Did you know if you subscribe at carsdad.com, I'll send you my free filler up book. It's an ebook filled with fuel filler fun and inspirational quotes from past guests here on Cars Yeah. Plus, you'll get a weekly wrap up email from me every Friday and your name will be in the hat for one of the many free giveaways here at Cars Yeah. Simply go to CarsYeah.com and click on the free book button and boom, you're in the club. And don't forget to subscribe to Cars Yeah on your mobile podcast app and you'll get the Cars Yeah show delivered right to your mobile device every day, absolutely free. Inspiring automotive enthusiasts, that's what we're all about. Here at Cars Yeah. Thanks for listening. Thank you so much for joining us on today's ride here at Cars Yeah. Drive on over to CarsYeah.com to find show notes and inspiring automotive fun. Download your free copy of Filler Up, a fun book filled with gorgeous photographs of fuel filler fun, including quotes from more inspiring automotive enthusiasts. Download your copy today, and we'll see you next time on Cars Yeah.